Brother Leiter, you say in your uh, book, uh, that, and you deal with this verse, Romans 6, 6, our old self was crucified with him in, in chapter 10. And you talk about um, how crucifixion with Christ takes place at the time of our regeneration. Why is that important to understand in light of other wrong teaching about what it means to be crucified with Christ? Um, for years in my Christian life, I try, I'd read those verses about I have been crucified with Christ, and I try to uh, picture what happened back there on the cross and try to figure out what in the world did it mean that I was there crucified with Him. And there is a sense in which we were. Everything that was done for us was done on the cross. He did. He, he put us to death in Christ on the cross. But the but the thing that Paul is talking about in Romans six is not just about what happened back there, but he's talking about us entering into the reality of this. And uh, when you when you read Romans six, he's talking about what happens whenever I become a new creation. He says we've been crucified with him, we've been buried with him that we might be raised up to walk in newness of life. That's what happens when you become a Christian. And uh, the reason that it's important to realize that this happens in regeneration is to realize that this is not just some kind of imaginary thing. This is something It's talking about the same thing. When it says the old you is crucified, it's talking about the same thing as when it says that He's taken out our stony heart and He's given us a new heart. So the old you... That is, the person that I was before I became a Christian is dead and gone and buried and will never be again. I'm a new person now. I've been raised up to walk in newness of life. So I don't think anybody here knew the old Charles Leiter. No, but none of you knew me then. And that person that I was, I'm thankful you never will know that person because he's dead and gone forever. I'll never be that person again. Now, that's what the Bible's saying when it says that your old self, the person you used to be in Adam, is dead, crucified, gone. So, now you say, why do I still have trouble with sin? Well, that's not the old you that's there. You've still got a problem with sin because of the flesh. There's part of you that hadn't been redeemed yet. But it's not your old man. A lot of people have this idea that that inside of you, you have an old man and a new man, and your old man and new man are fighting against each other. And the illustration that's given is like it's like a black dog and a white dog inside of you. And they're fighting, and whichever one you feed the most is the one that wins. You know, I've heard that story. The problem is, is that that's not the struggle you're having. The struggle you're having, you are, a, who am I really in my deepest being? Who am I? Well, I'm a new creation. I'm a new man. And you realize who you are now. You're alive from the dead. And so you present yourself to God as one who's alive from the dead. Realize that's who you really are. You really are a new person. You really are a new creation. But you're not yet totally 100% redeemed because your mortal body has not yet been redeemed. And that mortal body is where sin still tries to assert itself in your life. still tries to reign in your mortal body. So Paul says, don't let it reign. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You're a new person now. If you'll just walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Alright, so here's a guy that's been an alcoholic for all his life. He becomes a Christian. His flesh is used to running in that pattern. 
but now he's a new creation. So what happens? Maybe when he passes a bar, his flesh wants to go that way. And that's still there with him. But he himself, as a new creation, doesn't really want that. So Paul says, realize who you are. Realize you don't have to be who you once were because you're not who you once were. Walk in the Spirit and you'll have the power to put to death the deeds of the body or the flesh. Uh, Here's a guy that... uh, has had trouble with his temper all the time. And uh, Paul Washer gave this illustration. You know, a guy uh, tends to fly off the handle, and uh, he's going out the door with his arms full, and his wife says, uh, would you take the trash out? He says, what? Can't you see my hands are full? And he flies off the handle. He gets angry. All right, now as a Christian, he becomes a Christian. And the same scenario, and she says, would you take the trash out? And he says the same thing, but there's something different because immediately he's grieved in his heart. He says, that was sin. I don't want that anymore. His flesh wants to run that way, but his spirit has been made new. And as he learns to walk in the spirit, he quits doing that. He's able to overcome it. So see, the big thing is, is that when you feel those lusts and those things coming back, to realize that's not who you really are and that's not what you really want. And you don't have to do that anymore. By the power of the Spirit, you can you can walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But that's the main idea there. Um, how does a proper view of Romans 6, and I guess even um, that it's about regeneration, because some men say it's about justification, how does a proper view of, of Romans chapter 6 prepare for a proper understanding of Romans chapter 7? Well, of course, the big thing about chapter 6 is that um, there's, there's a couple things. One is, is that I have become a new creation. I've, I've, my old man is crucified. I've been raised up to walk in newness of life. And Paul says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That means you don't have to. You don't have to let sin reign in your mortal body. So as a Christian, I'm no longer enslaved to sin. I've been set free from sin. Not in the sense that I'm sinless, but in the sense that I'm no longer sin slave. And so uh, Paul says, Sin shall not have dominion over over you. It shall not be master over you. Verse 14 of chapter 6. Uh, because you're not under the law, but under grace. And then he goes on and says, he says, you were the slaves of sin, but now you have been freed from sin and you have become slaves to righteousness. So the whole teaching of Romans 6 is that we are no longer slaves to sin. We've moved over into a different realm. We're slaves to righteousness now. And the way that works is is that uh, uh, when you become a Christian, Righteousness rules over you and secures your obedience the same way sin used to rule over you and secure your obedience. So here's a Christian. They Maybe they said, uh, uh, maybe I'm talking to one of these brothers here and I say something out of line, I'm a little bit sharp or something, and I go home and I start feeling this inside of me, this nagging. You need to call that brother and ask his forgiveness. You need to call him and ask his forgiveness. Pretty soon I say, all right, I'm going to call him. I call him up. You see what righteousness is ruling over me and securing my obedience to righteousness. 
Now, there was a time when sin ruled over me and secured my obedience to sin. He says, you've died to that. You've died to that realm. You're no longer slaves to sin. Having been set free from sin and enslaved to righteousness, enslaved to God. So that's the setting that uh, Paul makes in Romans 6 before you ever get to Romans 7. In Romans 7, then, he's not talking about being a slave to sin anymore. He's talking about the law and the function that the law has. And so, Let me ask you all a question. What would be the main reason? What's the best argument to say that uh, Paul was referring to a Christian in Romans 7? Okay, now if you just read the first half of that verse, that would be an argument that he's a Christian. He has a desire to do what's right. What would be an even stronger verse? All right, now that's an argument from Christian experience, which is a good argument. Just a second, but it's a good argument, but it doesn't. It's not the way that we're supposed to interpret the Bible, is it? We don't get our experience and then go to the Bible and try to figure out what the Bible's saying from our experience. But that is, a, it is powerful in its place. It can be a powerful argument. The strongest argument that you could give is this guy, whoever he is, he says he delights in the law of God after the inward man. And lost men out here on the street, they don't delight in the law of God. They hate the law of God. It says in chapter 8, I think it's verse 7, is it, that, that the, the, the carnal mind, uh, the mind of the flesh, uh, hates the law of God. It's not subject to it. It can't be subject to it. So this fellow here is different than the, than the typical lost man. There's something entirely different going on in him when he says that he delights after, uh, in the law of God after the end of man. That would be the biggest reason that you'd say, well, this must be a Christian. Now, the reason that I would say that he's not talking about that is that as you read the flow down through here, uh, he's, uh, if, if you just turn over there, uh, how many of you are having a problem with this or have any questions about it? Something where you're not quite convinced that what Tim has said about Romans 7 being a a reference to a, a, a man that's not a Christian. How many, does anybody have a problem with that, you think? You know, I kind of think it is talking about a Christian. Anybody? Verse 20. Okay. No longer, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. But what I'm, what I'm asking, what I want to know right off here, is there anybody that's struggling with this in terms of you're not quite convinced you think maybe this does refer to a Christian? Is there anybody that's thinking like that? See, if you're not having a problem with it, there's no need of me spending a bunch of time talking about it. Or do you just not, you just don't have any opinion on it? You don't know what it's saying? I'm going to have to do like I do at home and start calling on people. <laughs> and since I don't know everybody's name, I can just point. Anybody have, I mean, are you all pretty well convinced? Do you know, what do you think's going on here in Romans 7? Are you pretty convinced of what, what's happening here? Mm -hmm. uh, I okay. mean, just because, uh, you know, years and years people um, use these verses and use this passage to justify 
um, you know, being a carnal Christian and falling into sin and struggling and stuff. And so it's kind of like... This is. I won't. Try, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this tonight because I think the Lord has something else for us to look at. But this is the big thing that I would say that we need to get hold of, and that is, Paul thinks of being under the law. The man who's under the law is under the power of sin. Now that's that's quite that's different. But back in chapter five. He says that the law entered that sin might increase. That's exactly the opposite of what every Jew thought. God gave the law that sin might decrease. He said God gave the law that sin might increase. And then in chapter 6, verse 14, he says, he says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. As long as you're under law, if you're over here in this realm where you're under the law, Sin is going to have dominion over you. That's Paul's way of thinking. That's incredible. But here he's a Jew. He was under the law. And while he was under the law, sin had dominion over him. Come on in. Come on. Yeah. No problem. Now that's quite a statement. 6.14 Sin shall not have dominion over you, Christian, because you're not under the law. Here's this realm over here of law. You're not there. You're in a different realm. You're under grace. And that's why sin can't have dominion over you. Now, like I said, for any Jew, that almost sounded like blasphemy. Because the law was everything to them. Paul's saying as long as you're under law, if you're over here in this realm where you're under law, sin's going to rule over you. So you've got to get out of that. You've got to die to the law and have a new life in the realm of the Spirit or you're never going to have victory over sin. As long as you're over in that realm, living under law, you're going to be defeated by sin. Now, he's made statements like that. He makes that statement in, is it 520, I think, about the law entered that sin might increase. And, yeah. Uh, and then he makes a statement in 6.14 that sin won't have rule over you because you're not under the law, but under grace. Uh, all of this stuff is is crying out for an answer. The Jews want, they say, what are you talking about? That you've got to die to the law in order to, to live to God. And so he's got to deal with that, and that's what chapter 7 is about. Chapter 7 is about law. And what he says in chapter 7 is starting out, he says, you know, as long as you're alive, you're under the law. But the fact is, you've died to it because in Christ you you passed out of that realm of law and you're living in a different world now. And so the first thing he establishes is that we've died to the law. And the second thing that he's going to establish is why it is that, that, that we have to die to the law in order to be free from sin. And so in Romans 7, like I said, I'm just going to give a very brief pointer here in the right direction. But in Romans 7 verse 1 he says, Do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction or dominion, is the same Greek word, it has dominion over a person as long as he lives. And then he gives an illustration of marriage. This woman is married, she's bound by law to her husband until he dies, and whenever he dies she's released from the law concerning the husband. 
Now, he goes on down here, verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. So we've passed out of that whole realm of law, and now we're married to Christ. Now, verse 5, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law. He equates this. He says, when you're in the flesh, these sinful passions were working in your members, in the members of your body, to bear fruit for death. Now you've been released from the law. You're no longer in the flesh. You're no longer under the law. You're over here so that you serve in newness of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. Not in the oldness of the letter. That has to do with the law. So he just got through saying, you've got to be released from this. In order, you've got to be freed from it. Now, that brings up big questions. First of all, you're telling me, Paul, that the law is sin. So that's the next thing he anticipates, verse 7. What shall we say then is the law sin? God forbid. He says, no, I'm not ta- there's nothing wrong with the law. I wouldn't even have known what sin was apart from the law. And then he begins to tell what happened in his own life. He says, I was alive apart from the law once, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So what's that mean? Well, Paul always had the Bible. He always knew the law. There was never a time that he didn't know the law. He grew up as a little boy knowing the law. But he says, there was a time when the commandment came, when God, the Holy Spirit, began to show me what it really means. You know that rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, good teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? He said, why are you calling me good? You don't have any idea what goodness is. Nobody's good but God. And as soon as you begin to, your eyes begin to be open to the fact that you're not good, he, see, he thought he was good. He thought he was good. He's throwing around the word good, you know, real lightly. And uh, that's why Jesus said what he said. But Paul was like that at one time. He said, I was alive apart from the law. I thought I was a good guy. I thought I was doing well. And he says, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. So he thought he was a good fellow. But when the commandment came, when the Holy Spirit began to show him what sin really is, he says, sin came alive and I died. In other words, he began to realize he couldn't do anything but sin. We had a Bible study with some Buddhist girls one time and one of the girls, uh, she said, you know, but she said, before I became a Christian, I didn't think I had any sin at all. She said, now it seems like I don't have anything but sin. <laughs> what is that? The Holy Spirit comes and opens your eyes to see how sinful you are. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, it's through the commandment, the Holy Spirit brought it home to my heart, and He showed me sin, and sin came alive, and I died. And the commandment, which promised life, it was ordained to life. The commandment said, do this and you'll live. The commandment promised life, but it brought about death in me. So here you see the law says, do this and you'll live. And you come out there and start trying to do it real confidently. And then all it does is kill you. And he says, the problem is not the law. There was nothing wrong with the law. The problem's in me. This death was produced in me. Well, another thing comes up. Well, what maybe the commandment, you know, it's not sin, but it, actually it's, it's just, it is death. The law of God's just death. No, it produces death, 
because of sin in me, that's the problem. There's nothing wrong with the law. So there's two objections that he deals with in Romans uh, chapter 7. First one in verse 7, is the law sin? What shall we say? Is the law sin? And he says, no, there's nothing wrong with the law. The second objection that he deals with is in verse 13. Therefore did that which is good, that is the law, become death for me? May it never be. Rather it was sin. So he says, first problem is, is, is the law sin? Second, is the law death? Is the law, is the, law the real thing that produces death? He said, no, it's sin. Now look at verse 14. For, for carrying out his argument here, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. So, all of a sudden, now he's talking about law all the way through here and why you've got to die to law in order to live to God. And he's dealing with two objections. Is the law sin? Is the law death? And he's answering both of those. See, it doesn't. the context doesn't have anything to do with struggles in the Christian life or anything like that. The context has to do with what, what about the law? How could, what's wrong with the law? Why do I have to get out from under the law in order to serve God? That's the whole context. And so he goes here into the present tense. He says, he says there's nothing wrong with the law. There's something wrong with man. We know that the law is spiritual. And then he goes into the present tense because he can't say, I know that the law was spiritual. It is. Right now it is spiritual. But then he puts it all in the present. He says, but I am a flesh. He's talking about himself, this man to whom the commandment has come, who starts to realize how sinful he is, who starts to try to do good and he can't do it. And he's failing all the time trying to keep the law. So he says, the law is spiritual. What's that mean? It means that you can't keep it except by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in a different realm. It's not a matter of just saying, I've decided that I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. You can't. Because you're a flesh. Until you become a Christian, you're in the flesh. And what did he say in verse 5? When we were in the flesh, that's this man, the sinful passions which came from where? Which were aroused by the law. Were at work where? In our members. Says, and he's getting ready to tell you all about this law of sin in the members. That's the whole thing he's going to talk about. The flesh, sin in the members. The law, the, he says the sinful passions which were stirred up and aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. There's the death, see? Is the law death? No, it's the sin in the members that produces death. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, the whole thing just flows right through there. He's talking about law. He's talking about why the law can't save you. Why the law can't deliver you. Why you can't be, have victory over sin as long as you're under law. And that's how he starts out chapter 8. He says, he says, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. You're a Christian. For what the law could not do, Romans 7, in that it was weak through the flesh. Romans 7. I am a flesh, soul, understand. God did. What the law could not do, God did. Sending His own Son. Come on in. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
and for sin, condemn sin in the flesh, what? That the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So he says the law couldn't do it. Why? But not because there's anything wrong with the law, but because it was weak through the flesh. The law couldn't do it, but God has done it now. And as we walk in the Spirit, the, the law will be fulfilled in us. It's the opposite of Romans 7. That's just a big thing to have in your mind. Romans 7 is not about Christians struggling with sin. Christians do struggle with sin. That's not what this is about. This is about a guy who is in the flesh, sold under sin. And he's trying to do good, and he's constantly defeated by it. It's not occasionally he's tripped up or something like that. This is a guy that's wretched, miserable, continuing defeat. Sin came alive, he said, and I died. That's what he's talking about here. So that's the context of it. Now, if you meet somebody who says, well, you know, I think Christians still, still struggle with sin. Yeah, well, that's not an argument at all. Well, I mean, we're not arguing about that. This is just the wrong place to teach it. This guy's, and they always import the word in. This guy's struggling with sin. No, he's not. He's defeated by sin. Not struggling with sin. He's defeated constantly, wretchedly defeated. And this, you know, Christians occasionally slip up and, yeah, but it doesn't say occasionally. It says that he's trying to do good and he can't. Now, I said the biggest argument that this refers to a Christian is this guy delights in the law. But don't you see that what happened? See, Paul says, I was alive without the law. Well, I thought I was a good person. But the commandment came. This is not just any old guy out here. This is a guy that the Holy Spirit has opened his eyes and showed him how lovely the law is and how desirable it is, and he's trying now to keep it, and he can't. He gets to the point of desperation. Wretched man, who will deliver me? Thank God. You know, Jesus Christ has delivered me. So the, if you're a Christian, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay, maybe that's enough on now. Okay, one. I have just one question. That is in my flesh. Uh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Is that him trying to um, keep this law and always have life by it? But since he can't, therefore um, he realizes his basic, how impossible it is to have life right. by the law? Right. So the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. The law said, do this and you'll live. He couldn't do that. See, that somebody had that saying years ago, run, John, and live, the law commands, but gives me neither legs nor hands. That's the problem. Yep. Run, John, and live, the law commands, but gives me neither legs nor hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. See, that's the difference. Jones has a good statement on that. I don't know, maybe somebody here has his book on Romans 7. But he said a Christian should never talk about himself like that. 
the Bible, present yourselves unto God. He says, he says, um, consider yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin. And he says, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Oh, but he says something more than that. He says, present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead. That's who a Christian is. He's somebody that's alive from the dead. You say, I want to present myself to God. See, when you first become a Christian, you feel like a new person. You realize I'm alive from the dead. It's exciting to present yourself to God. You're alive from the dead. But after you've been a Christian a while, you may not feel very alive. You know, you start to see how much struggle you still have with sin, and you see all the needs you have, and you, you know. So then you get this wretched, you know, vile hunk of meat that I am, you know. Now I'm going to present myself to God. You can't do that. you got to remember, even, even after, I mean, God knew how bad you were when He saved you, and He's starting to show you how much you need Him and how much you have to rest on Him and His power. And so, but the fact is, if you're a Christian, you're just as new and just as alive today as you were the day you became a Christian. And you will be from now on. So you present yourselves unto God, not as a wretched man, but you present yourselves to God as one who is alive from the dead. If you committed some sin, you ask Him to forgive you and cleanse you. And sometimes He allows a Christian to struggle with sin a lot before He delivers them, in order that they might learn that the power is in Him and not themselves. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. I mean, even a true Christian, you know, can have all terrible struggles, but that's different than being wretched, defeated, and you can never have victory. That's what the devil wants you to believe. You know, you got victory over that, but you're never going to get victory over this one. That's a lie. And that's one of the ways he uses Romans 7 to defeat Christians. If it's something that's bad enough, you know that it's wrong. It's something that God will deliver you from. <clears throat> Otherwise, we might as well stop going around and telling people about the gospel. If God can't save you from your sin, you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people in their sins. That's not what it said. To save His people from their sins. Is that why that God He, you know, commands us to do what we ourselves like are unable to do is just to see and to completely rely upon Him and see Him, and, and so um, when in fact it does come to pass, like believing or repentance, um, you know, that all arrows point to Him. No, when I first became a Christian, I pictured, you know, when I was thinking of victory over sin. I pictured myself, you know, I'm standing there, you're standing by this lion you've shot, you know, and you've got your foot on his neck and you're standing there with your gun. <laughs> you know, nobody gets victory over sin like that. He always does it in a way that you realize, man, I, there's no way I could ever do this. I mean, he lets you fail enough that you realize that you cannot do it. And, and so instead of, you know, whenever you say praise the Lord, you know, it's not just real pious, it's real. I would have never gotten out of this, even as a Christian, if it hadn't been. And God delivers you. He doesn't deliver you through five points, you know, that you write down. This is how to get. This is 
the Lord taught about this in one of His parables from the parable of growth in the kingdom in Mark 4. And He said that growth in the kingdom is supernatural and is mysterious. He said it's like a man that casts seed into the ground and goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the earth brings forth fruit of itself. How? He doesn't know. And any growth that you're ever going to have in the Christian life you're not going to understand how it happened. It's miraculous. And anytime anybody gives you five points, how to get victory on this, 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 write these down, this will get, you can be sure you're wasting your time because it's not going to work. <laughs> Growth is mysterious. It's supernatural. And uh, usually you can't, you don't have a clue, but you know God delivered you. <clears throat> And sometimes there are things you're supposed to do. You're supposed to read your Bible. You're supposed to pray and so on. But that's not going to do it by itself. That's a, that's the usual reform position on Romans 7, and that is the more clearly, the more holy you become, the more you see how sinful you are. That's true. But, but it's different than saying the more holy you become, the more wretched you are. And um, this, see, this guy in Romans 7, he's not just bemoaning the fact that he's got some minor, you know, or that he's seeing more clearly how much he needs the Lord. I mean, what suppose a Christian life was, you know, boy, you know, if you'd just become really holy, you could be so wretched, you could just be, you talk about how vile you are all the time. <laughs> That's not, who would want that? And so it is true that the more holy a person becomes, the more sensitive they are to things that, I mean, some, and you know how it is, that there's some things God begins to show you. I mean, first you think, well, these are my big sins, and then you realize, no, my big sins are not these that other people can see. They're, they're deeper than selfish things and self-centeredness and all that. That's the big stuff. And then you start realizing how deep it is and how much God's got to dredge out. Well, that's true. We grow in that. But that's different than saying that the more holy you become, the more wretched you become. People say, well, you, you know, if you, if you don't have some sin, you, know, you can't be humble. Well, that means Jesus couldn't be humble because he didn't have any sin. You know, that you don't have to have sin to be humble. To sin not to be humble. <laughs> so, anyway.